0: Good morning, church. Uh, My name is David Robbins. I have the privilege of serving on staff here, leading our uh, people development team, which is really across all of our campuses, all of our churches, the adult ministries. And I have one of the best jobs in the world. And it's my privilege to be here with you today. Pastor Alex is speaking at Woodland Hills Family Church today. We affectionately refer to that church where Ted Cunningham is the pastor as the church at Branson. And so he's there today. And he is ringing the bell Uh, on the topic of adoption and foster care, and we're going to do the same thing here today. And what I'd like to tell you, if you're a parent of a child that is in one of our churches, one one of our uh, main auditoriums today, I just want to give you a PG-13 rating. Here in a few minutes, uh, there is a video, and the audio of that video, it's very real, it's very raw, and so you might want to take advantage of the time that we have between now and then and check your child in to one of our TC Kids environments. But about nine years ago, Pastor Alex did something crazy. Now, I know that surprises you, that Pastor Alex would do something crazy, but he did. On Easter Sunday, about nine years ago, he preached a sermon that stuck a stake in the ground for proclaiming that adoption should be plan A and not plan B. And he did that on Easter Sunday. And he did that because as he studied the Scriptures, as God spoke to him, he, he, he just realized that there was no better picture of the gospel than what Jesus did on the cross for us. And coupling that and tying that to adoption. And he shared some, some passages with us. I think we're going to throw them up on the screen. Psalm 68 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And then in Psalm 82, uh, the scripture reminds us to defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and oppressed. And then in Ephesians chapter 1 is is really a verse that we've rallied around here at our church at churches. And and in Ephesians 1, Scripture declares, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. And so Pastor began shouting from the mountaintop, there is no better picture of the gospel than adoption and families in our church some had been early adopters in 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 adopting they had they had already adopted but but families in our church continued to adopt in fact some of our our preschool and elementary environments across our campuses they look like a united nations meeting and it's beautiful but about six years ago pastor alex did something else crazy You, you see a theme here he does crazy things but about six years ago, he did something crazy. He, he led our church into some relationships with, with our DHS system, with foster care agencies, to become a leader in our city, in our state. And really, uh, I have conversations around our nation with churches who are asking how we can do this, uh, to be a, a leader in being the solution to the foster care crisis. Well, why would we do that? Why, why in our context? Uh, because foster children are a type of modern-day orphan. You see, we began with adoption, and, and then we realized that we have shelters in our city. We have children in custody who, who really, they are the modern-day orphan. And the same mandate that Scripture proclaims to the, to the orphan for the believer certainly applies to them. And, and so we began that charge. Community groups invaded our local foster care shelter. And, and it's called the Laura Dester Shelter. And last night, 22 children slept there. People volunteered not only to go as groups, but but individuals volunteered to show up in the middle of the night and rock babies who were crying. And and they showed up in the middle of the night to to change diapers because there were children there through no fault of their own. Uh, Other groups got together and they maybe threw a party or a cookout and grilled some hot dogs and played soccer with kids and, and, and just got to know them. And as they got to know them, some of our families began to bring children into their home so that the child at a holiday season, a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or an Easter or a New Year's, could have some sense of this is what a family's like. And, and as often happens, once we remove the mystery from who those kids are, many of our families began to foster and bring children into a family. And to care for them and love them and engage with them. And again, following that lead, dozens and dozens and dozens of our families have lived out the gospel by providing more than just a bed, but providing a home for foster children. Now it's not easy, and I don't want to stand here today and proclaim that, that being a foster parent is easy because it's not. It's a hard journey. That our foster parents are on. And, and Because they have welcomed wounded children into their home. They've welcomed children who've experienced some sort of trauma into their home. And it's a hard journey. And so why? Why, why would they do that? Why would a church do that for a segment of our society that others are afraid to engage in? Well, I, I've got a lot of ideas. And, and I just want to share a couple of you of those ideas with you. One idea is because it comes from a biblical understanding of what it means to be the people of God on mission, that, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. The, the, the second, it, it comes from a, a compulsion to, to live out the gospel, not just know about the gospel, but to live out the gospel even in a way that makes no sense to outsiders. But, but you know, another idea is maybe it's just as simple Maybe it's just as simple as caring for a neighbor. Caring for a neighbor who cannot care for themselves. You remember that story, right? There's a story in Scripture that we often refer to as the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and I want to just take a minute to share that with you. We don't have time to read all the verses and for, for me to try to play Pastor Alex and tell you all the Greek words, but I want you to have that story in your mind as we continue our service today. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to, to, to follow along. It's in, it's in uh, Luke chapter 10. You can follow along, and you can fact check me, and you can send me an email if I don't tell it right, and, uh, and then we'll talk about that, but... But follow along in Luke chapter 10 under your Bible heading of the story of the Good Samaritan. And let me set it up for you. Jesus was really just answering a question. He was answering a question from some lawyers of the day who said, yeah, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus had said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And and as some legal minds tend to do, they were cynical and skeptical, and they said, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And they were thinking one thing, and Jesus was thinking another, as he so often does. And their definition of neighbor was simply somebody who's close to me, which is probably what my definition of neighbor is. And Jesus blew apart their definition of neighbor. And and as he often does, Jesus told a story to do it. And, And here's the story that he told to answer the question, who is my neighbor? He said a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was down this hilly, curvy, and dangerous path. And if I was Pastor Alex at this moment, I would say, hey, I want you to go to Israel with me in January of 2017. We've got a trip coming, and I want to take you on that hilly, curvy path, okay? So there's information that will be coming about Pastor Alex's January 2017 uh, Israel trip. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going down that hilly, rocky path, and, and it was dangerous, and it was dark, and he was attacked by bandits. He was beaten, and he was robbed. He was actually stripped naked. They took everything that this man had, and he was left by the side of the road. He was left in a ditch, and he was left for dead. It's not a very pretty picture. It's not a very pretty picture, but through no fault of that man he was attacked, stripped, beaten, and left for dead. Well, the story continues. Along comes a priest. Likely, he was headed home from his two-week shift of of working in the temple in Jerusalem and offering sacrifice. Those priests normally worked two weeks a shift, and then they would go home for two weeks, and then they would come back. And and so he was at the end of his two-week shift. Surely, Surely this priest was close to God. I mean, he had been in the the temple of the Lord for two weeks. He had been in church for two weeks praying and, and offering sacrifices. Surely he was close to God, and he would extend a helping hand. But nope, he didn't. He rode on by and just left that man in the ditch without lifting a finger. Well... The story continues as Jesus tells it, and he says, next, a temple assistant walked by. This was probably the subordinate to the priest, probably the same two-week shift, had probably served elbow to elbow with the priest who had just rode by on his donkey, and, and the temple assistant walked by, and he walked over, and he looked. Now, I don't know what this guy's thought process is, and it's awfully easy to be hard on someone as we as we think about A story like this, but he walked over to assess the situation, but ultimately he kept going. He didn't engage in providing any help for a person in a desperate situation. Maybe he thought, well, my boss was just ahead of me, the priest, and he didn't help, so it's not my responsibility to help. And the story continues. The man's still in the ditch, he's still stripped naked, he's still beaten, he's left for dead in the ditch. And along comes a despised Samaritan. And this man was despised because he was not a pure-blood Jew. He he was different. He had different beliefs. He had different ethnicity. He was simply seen in this culture as inferior. The the man who was broken and abandoned uh, was left for dead, and a Samaritan who's despised in the culture comes along. And as the story is told, the Samaritan is the one who acted in kindness. The Samaritan is the one who, who pulled some oil out of his bag and, and soothed the wounds. The Samaritan is the one who, who bandaged his wounds. The Samaritan is the one who took him to an inn. The Samaritan is the one who, who paid an innkeeper out of his own pocket to care for this man and then said, I will come again and pay more if you need it. Who else do you know in Scripture Who went that far for those who were in a ditch? Who else do you know in Scripture who paid a great price to heal and then he left a deposit and, and told us he would return again? You see, that Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. That Samaritan is a picture of Jesus and Jesus did whatever it took to rescue us. He became sin so that we might have life. And that... That church is a picture of the gospel. You and I were broken and abandoned when Jesus rescued us. We were in the ditch, and we were without hope. Now, the temptation is for preacher types at this point of the story. And I'm not much of a preacher type, okay? But the temptation for preacher types is to ask you, here on the Battle Creek campus, to ask you at the downtown campus, to ask you at the Midtown campus, to ask you at the South Tulsa campus, to ask you at the Owasa campus, to ask you in the chapel and you online to be the Samaritan. And to do more than pass by a need or to do more than just look on a need. And, and that's, what, that's what everything within me wants to do. But the truth of it is, There's not a one of us in any of our rooms that can do that. We are no one Savior. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. None of us, none of us are good enough or caring enough or loving enough or smart enough or kind enough or compassionate enough or powerful enough to rescue anybody. We are not the solution for a broken world a broken system broken families and broken children but and this is a big but and if you've been around here at all you know we like big buts. but this is a big but as a child of God Jesus works in me and Jesus works through me in order that I can be enough for the least of these for those that are in the ditch you see it's not about me he is able To work through my availability. He is able to work through my willingness. He is is calling us to run into messy situations because He is the ambassador of rescue working through us, connecting people to the one in need of a Savior. Think about it this way because He is, I can be. Because He is, I can be. I can be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are in the ditch. So with that in mind, we want to share some details about the state of foster care in our city and our state. We want to share some information about how your availability in the hands of Jesus can make a difference for children who are all around us. And in order to do that well, I want to ask our friend, Chris Campbell, to join me on the stage. Chris formerly served on our church staff. In fact, when I came on staff, Chris was my supervisor. And in his role, he helped so many people advance in their journey with Christ. And now Chris is serving the King of Kings as the executive director of the 111 Project in our state. He's doing a fantastic job of leading the charge to engage the faith community, to engage the church in going the extra mile on behalf of foster care. Would you guys welcome Chris? today?
1: Hey, friends. It's good to be here. TC campuses. Uh, this is really good. Thanks thanks for letting us be a part of this. Yeah, Chris, it's good to see you,
0: man. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it so well. Hey, let's just jump right in. I, I want you, if you can, and I know it's hard, It's we're asking you to do an impossible thing this morning, but if you can, can you give us a snapshot of the state of foster care in, our, in, in Oklahoma? What's going on? Maybe some of that recent history of what's yeah. going
1: on. So I think David's already done a good job, and I think he sh- should have already had the altar call, and I would have been done. Okay. Okay, Uh, so this morning is really, really good. But what I want to do, my role kind of today is to give you kind of the high level stats, perspective, Um, just for those that kind of need that side of the equation. um, I want to present it in a way, hopefully, that kind of allows you, especially in Oklahoma, to get your arms around what's going on in the state. Um, But first of all, I want to thank you as a church. Um, This church uh, for many years has owned this issue has been a part of it, has sought to uh, serve the state in whatever way that they can. Many of you that are in the room uh, that work for Oklahoma DHS, um, we this church has served you, um, has served the children in our state, has gone to the shelter um, with countless groups. And so I just, first of all, want to say thank you to you and thank you to David and to Pastor Alex for the work that you've done. Um, I hope you get... The feeling today that we've made so much progress despite a lot of challenges and obstacles, uh, but there's still work to be done, and it's work that's really exciting because I think it's something that we can be a part of the solution to solve, and, and the reality in the near future is that it is solvable. And so just a little bit of the background, um, you know, not, not too long ago uh, when I was on staff here, Um, you know, we, we were hosting conferences, we were recruiting volunteers to go to the shelter. Um, you know, we were seeing families recruited and, and as a part of our ministry at the church, we connected with this one-on-one project ministry that really the goal was, is to see the 6,700 churches in Oklahoma, try to find one net foster and adopt a family. And that was around five years ago or so. And, but what. What happened in that time was um, we had some challenges in the state around 2012, there's some lawsuits, there's some things that happened, and the number of kids dramatically spiked in care. Um, we went to, when we originally hosted a conference, it was the 8046 conference, because there was 8,046 kids in care. Well, not too long after that conference in 2011, 2012, 2013, the number shot up to almost 12,000 kids in care in the state of Oklahoma. So I want to put a little perspective on that because I I want to encourage you all that things are getting better despite what you hear in the news media. Um, Things are getting better, and what's happened is, um, well, let let me first give you this context. There's about 35,000 homes that are investigated every year. Okay, in the state of Oklahoma, 35,000 homes that are investigated. Now, that doesn't mean 35,000 children, that actually probably means 70,000 children impacted by those 35,000 homes. So there's a phone call, there's some type of referral made, and a state worker has to go to visit that home to verify that there's not any instance of abuse or neglect. So that's that's a lot of kids. But of that number, about now, about 9,800, actually this last week, if, if we're getting really exact, um, right at 9,800 kids are currently in care and so um, exactly 9825 currently in care. Um, Of those kids, um, there is about um, 40% of them that are currently being taken care of by some family member or kinship placement. So that could be a coach, that could be um, a relative, that could be a grandma, we're one of the largest states of grandmas taking care of grandkids, but the the state is still monitoring that. Of that, about 10% of those kids are actually in some type of trial reunification um, with their families. Um, so the state is monitoring those homes. And so overall, when we hear that 9,800, it's really about 50% of those kids are the ones that we're actually trying to find homes for. They're, they're what we would call foster kids. Um, and of that 9,800, or uh, of the half, so the 5,148 still in type, uh, some type of home, 89 of them, only 89 of them now, are in some type of private shelter or state shelter.
0: Okay, so I'm a little bad with numbers, so let me yeah. let, help me out here. So so we've taken a crisis from 9800 to 91. We've got 91 children who are in a shelter in Oklahoma
1: right now. Right. And that 91 really represents the shortfall. It's it's not the 9800, it's the 91. And there's a couple other numbers that we watch but that's the big one those 91 children still in shelters are there because we don't have homes warm so so how are we doing in the city in this metro area yeah that's good um so tulsa um you guys know this tulsa is one of the most giving generous communities in the state um but what the state has said to us is per capita we're not producing the homes that we need to produce and so here's the other kind of fact that's kind of troubling um, 333 of our Tulsa kids, our county kids, are someplace else in the state because when we needed a home for them in our community, we didn't have one. And so last week, it was a four-month-old medically fragile child that we had no home for in the entire state of Oklahoma. A uh, Week before that, there was seven kids that father died, and there was no place in the state of Oklahoma to take those kids. That, that's a situation that still happens in Tulsa County, where when the kids actually come into care, we don't have enough homes for them. So,
0: so when the number reduces, we still need new foster families. So, so what kind of homes and families do we need to, to step up and, and hear God's voice and become foster
1: families? Absolutely. And, and one other thing I want to share with that before I do that, because I think this is important for us to, to fill the weight of. There are 46 teenagers that age out of care last year in the state. Or Actually, no, this is Tulsa County that had no place to go. Okay. 46 children. Now, to me, that doesn't seem like a huge number, but that's still 46 children that aged out that most likely stats show they're going to be incarcerated in some way. Um, 25% of them are probably going to be homeless. It's just what the stats show. They're going to be on the streets. Um, the, these are kids that are going to struggle emotionally and physically because they don't even have a spiritual extended family to care for them. And oftentimes guys, those kids go right back into the abusive situations that they came from when they turn 18. And, and just because they're 18, just because they're adult doesn't mean, doesn't mean that they, they can handle that situation again. Um, but that's the reality. Um, so what type of homes? Um, one thing I'd like to say is we need homes just as diverse as we have kids. Okay. So if we, if we have homes, if kids coming from rural areas that are involved in, uh, you know, um, FFH, FFH, farm, uh, what is it? FFA, FFA. Well, FFH, that's the band. 4H. 4H, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so if they, if they come from a rural setting and that's their background, you know, we need, we need homes in those rural settings. It would be a horrible thing to take a kid from a rural part of the state and move them into, you know, a city-like setting. In the same way, it'd be hard to take our kids out of a city-like setting and take them to a rural setting when they have no context. The transition, the difficulty, and then also if our goal, which all of our goals should be, is family restoration, reconciliation, like that's the heart of the gospel, then it's going to be really hard for us to help a child with that if their biological families are on the other side of the state. And so it's really important that we recruit the same types of homes. But but one example, and, and I, I don't want to get too far on this, but, but like, for example, Native American homes right now we have a lot of Native American kids that we wanna preserve that culture and that heritage, and we don't have enough Native American homes. And so we need more folks with Native American heritage, whatever the type is, to be able to specifically care for those children and. And so culturally, we need, we need folks from every race, every background, every demographic. But, but let me be very clear. We still have kids coming into care that are, that are young. Uh, I saw the, the placement for adoptions. There's, there's 74 kids in, the, in Tulsa County right now that are legally free that need to be adopted. Okay? So most of those kids are in foster homes, um, but they're still legally free. They're not in their forever home. Um, but in that situation of those kids, um, we still have babies and, and young one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-olds. Most of them are part of sibling sets, but we still have young kids coming into care that we don't have a home for. Um, what's great is you can't go back to the shelter. We're not rocking babies at the shelter anymore. We fixed that. That's awesome. Uh, There's typically not kids under six years of age at our shelters anymore because that's changed. That's gotten better over the last five years. But of those 74 kids, um, most likely what we need, and I'm gonna poke at a couple people in the audience, we need some empty nesters. We need folks that have parented other kids well that are experienced parents that could step in some situations with some elementary age kids, some young teenagers, some sibling sets, that have the capacity um, potentially and the resources to care for kids that a young married couple with a baby could but probably shouldn't care for. And so we need more empty nesters. We need more folks with experiences with kids with medical needs, um, you know, that aren't scared of, of some of the challenges that some of these kids emotionally and physically have. Um, because when you meet them and you hang around with them, they're just kids. And, and, and especially what we hear from these kids is they've been in situations where they've been in group homes or shelters where they are among a crowd. And ultimately, their deepest desire is they would want one adult loving them with all their heart. And so these kids are asking us to find homes where they're the only kid in the home. Okay, so one final thing Chris, can you and I know this
0: is really a complicated issue, but there's a 32nd answer to it. I hear on the news, hey, the shelter's closed, the shelter's closing, the shelter's closed, the shelter's closing. But we're talking about the shelter being open today. So what's the truth about that situation? What's going on?
1: Yeah, so the exciting thing is is over this last year, we had kind of a Chicago Cubs you know, banner run year, okay? Um, And and we've defeated all the kind of background ghosts that are there too, all right? And so with that, uh, for the first time ever, the state has recruited 1,070 foster families, which is unheard of. Um, It's never happened. So over this last year, through the partnerships, through Oklahoma Fosters, through the private agencies, through churches really get on board with this, for the first time ever, we recruited the amount of foster families that we needed. Secondly, we've had a home run year related to adoptions. We've seen more kids adopted in the state of Oklahoma this last year than ever before. Um, We're seeing the kids, amount of kids in care reduced. Um, And so all that has led to kind of this thought process of, could we close the shelter? And so the state made kind of this announcement to say, hey, we're gonna do this, but the reality of it was is we weren't ready yet. We, we weren't there yet. Um, because we didn't have a home for every one of these children. And so in Oklahoma City, the, the state-run shelter, the Pauline Meyer Shelter, actually did close because we were able to place, and there was a great news story about the last child that was there at that shelter, we found him a home. But the Tulsa County Shelter um, still has children in it, and so everybody's announced that it's closed. It's still open. There's still 20-plus kids, as David said, that are there, and these are wonderful kids, but the reality of this situation is this is—the Lord Esther Shelter's not intended to be the frontline solution for these children. It's the last line solution, it's the last straw. So if a police officer brings a child into care, they first look for a foster home, they then look for a private placement and potentially a group home, then they also have private shelters, and then ultimately if none of those things are available, they have to call the director of child welfare, Jamie, who may be even here today, and they have to get a per- approved permission to put the child in Lord Esther shelter. And so it's the last line of defense, but it's not planning. A.
0: Yeah. And so we still need foster families, Absolutely, and we need waiting foster families to place a child in the best possible placement to avoid any kind of shelter care.
1: Absolutely. And, and guys, what's really hard is you go to that shelter, it's a beautiful shelter, and the staff that are there are wonderful people. They're great, wonderful people that are doing a bang-up job caring for these kids. But the reality of it is, it's an institution. It's not a home. And when those kids turn 18, there's not a family that's going to surround them, that's going to love for them, that's yeah. going to check on them, that when you know, the crud hits the ceiling fan, that's what happens often in life, they have no one to call. And the government is not supposed to be the solution to that. The church is. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. I appreciate you. Thank you, Bud, for all you do. So, so So, church, I want to take the mystery out of who these children are these 22 children that that spent last night at the Laura Dester Shelter and we've got a video that shows you a little bit about that.
1: A foster home that was perfect for me. Well, I don't believe in perfect but if there was a foster home that was perfect it would be, like, people who had, like, a set of rules, but, like, at the same time, they let me be who I am, like, let me, like, control myself, like, wear what I want to wear, like, do my hair the way I want to.
2: Well, I mean, they, these kids are great. They're very special kids. They've all got uh, some significant talents. Um, you know, that I think a lot of times you hear stories about foster kids and, and the challenges that they, they present um, and people are scared away but these are really just kids um, and they are uh, fun to be around, they've got big personalities <laughs> um, and they enjoy doing normal kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's probably what I would like people to know most about our kids. I'm actually a very Nice guy if you get to know me.
1: But most people don't take the time to get to know me because I have some disabilities.
2: You know, these kids have, have come up in rough background so it's not always going to be clean it's not always going to be easy I mean we have I'm fortunate to have contact with kids that have left and have been in successful foster Mm -hmm. homes and um, you know it's not always easy but um, those are the ones that that last that are you know resilient and Mm -hmm. tolerant and and if you can get through some of the messy stuff in in the long run it's Mm -hmm. very very healthy and um, mm-hmm. you know that's the best medicine for these kids is a healthy relationship with the, the caring adult.
1: My best day ever would look like that would look like to me is meeting my mother for the first time. Mm-hmm. It so, really
3: is life-changing right. that child's path can be so dramatically changed from you know headed towards prison someday to um, joining the army and being successful in college and Having a relationship, a healthy relationship with someone um, long term and having their own family. So, really honestly, what we do with our children now and just in general is what determines their path later. And the sooner we get a hold of these kids and start working with them and what their challenges are, the easier it is for them to be successful adults.
0: Those are the modern day orphans we're talking about. Dr. Barbara Sorrells is joining us today. Uh, Barbara is one of our state's leading experts in parenting children who've experienced trauma. She serves your church. She serves the church at churches in helping foster and adoptive families walk through difficult issues. Would you thank Barbara for joining us today? So Barbara, can you just give us a brief overview of why children in our foster system have issues related to trauma?
3: Well, first of all, I just wanna say what an honor and a privilege it has been over the last couple of years to get to know some of the families in our church who have chosen to foster and adopt. Um, It's been an honor to share your tears and to share in those baby steps of joy when you see progress. But by virtue of the fact that a child has been taken into the system means that that child has experienced trauma. Sometimes there's the misguided notion that because an infant can't remember that an infant doesn't experience trauma, but that nothing could be further from the truth. We know that the younger a child experiences Um, abandonment, neglect, abuse, the greater the likelihood of lifelong impact. And one of the reasons that infants are often brought into custody is because of prenatal alcohol and drug exposure, which we know creates disorganization in the brain, which leads to difficulties with attention, self-control, and learning issues. And, And also there's the rupture of that biological bond Older children are often taken into custody because of neglect, which is actually the primary reason that children are in the system, as well as abuse and abandonment, but to be abandoned and neglected by the very people who are supposed to love and protect you is toxic to the human soul. And often these kids are taken into custody very unexpectedly, a police officer and a caseworker shows up and they are ripped from everything that they know, their friends, their community, their homes, their schools, and taken to strangers where their world is completely turned upside down. Yeah.
0: And so what we're asking and what we've talked about is welcoming children just like that into our homes. And and so to have our eyes wide open, what, what kind of expectations should a family have if if they welcome a foster child into their home
3: well it's going to be hard and with some children it'll be even harder because scared children sometimes do scary things And one of the other misguided notions is, as I hear people say, I don't get why these kids don't come in to their foster homes, and they're very grateful, and can I help you? Can I wash your windows? Can I scrub your floors for you? But that is not the case. Um, The history has taught them that this world is not a safe place, that relationships are not safe, and that people are not there for them. And so the journey to learn to trust, the the journey to learn to accept help can be long and very challenging. But the flip side is there can be nothing more satisfying and rewarding than to walk alongside a child and see the healing that takes place. And it comes in baby steps. It's the infant that finally sleeps through the night. It's the toddler who finally asks to be rocked. It's the 14-year-old that says, you know, I'm beginning to realize that my life is better now, even though it was hard in the beginning. And I believe that God brings these children into our lives to change us as much as we are going to help bring about change in other children's lives. I heard a man one time testify in court, and he said, fostering has made me a better man.
0: Wow. You know, Barbara, in services like this in the past, and at times when we've issued a call to our church uh, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and uh, to, to, to take on the, on the persona of the gospel and to live out the gospel, often what we would do is we would hand out a packet as people left the back and said, hey, we want you to sign up to be a foster parent. Here's the, here's the packet that DHS requires. Fill this out, and you're good to go. Pat them on the rear end and say, get in the game. And what we've learned is is that's not the next step. That is just not the next step. And so can you, can you tell us what next step we've got available for, for people in, in all of our churches uh, that are saying their hearts are being piqued and they're saying, hey, I think I want to be a part of the solution. I don't know if it's to foster, adopt, or if it's to do something else. What, tell us, talk about what, what they could do and, and what we're going to do to help them.
3: On November 3rd, we're going to have an event here on this campus for all those who are interested in just learning more about how they can support the foster and adopted system, those who are fostering and adopting. We're not necessarily asking everyone to foster and adopt. I do believe that we are all called to do our part. But I believe that only some of us are called to foster, and we don't want anyone to take that step without thoughtful consideration. So on that night, we'll have a dinner. We will have, you will hear stories from some of the families in our congregation that have um, fostered and adopted in the past. Um, And we're gonna present different opportunities and ways that you can offer support both directly and indirectly. The lives of foster parents are often very hectic and messy. There's lots of appointments, there's lots of visitation with biological parents, there's visits by caseworkers, and so there are things that, that you can do like bring a meal, help with yard work, help with home repairs. Um, We're calling that more indirect support, and of of course there's the direct support where you're on the front lines dealing with children. It could be transporting children back and forth from doctor visits. It could be providing respite care or or being a short-term alternative caregiver. So we are inviting you to come that night and prayerfully consider the role that God would have you play in this endeavor.
0: And, and, and that's, the, that's the key. What role can you play in this endeavor? How can I be a part of the solution? So uh, what I want you to also know is in, in the lobby of all of our churches this morning, there's a display table, and it has some of that artwork from those children at the shelter. I want you to stop by there and take a look at that and uh, pray, about, uh, pray for those kids as you do that. Barbara, thank you so much for being with us today. Let's thank Barbara for joining us. You know, Pastor Alex is doing something crazy again today. As we spoke about, as he and I spoke about the goal of our time together today, he said this, and I'm quoting him, let's call our churches to empty the shelter." Let's call our churches to empty the shelter. Let's find homes for the 91 children who slept there last night. It's not their fault they were there. Let's even be a solution for the 500 children who today are ready to be adopted in our state. And you say, I don't know, I don't know. I I understand. What I want you to understand is that every week in our city, there is a 911 call that changes a child's life. Sending emergency.
1: San Diego emergency. Uh, my mommy and daddy Is she getting hurt?
0: every person under the sound of my voice who's been rescued by Jesus is a part of the solution to the foster care crisis in our city and our state but we can only be that solution as we are available to live out the gospel being the hands and feet of Jesus Plugging into the Good Samaritan and being conduits of his grace to children who need a family. At every one of our churches, I want you to look at me. At every one of our environments, look at me. Don't let the enemy distract you in this moment. Downtown you are a part of this solution. Midtown, your availability is important to the children of this city. South Tulsa, would you be willing to place your yes on the table and see how God can use you? Owasso, Jesus has rescued you from the ditch. Would you plug into the power and take a step of obedience? Battle Creek, lock arms. Lock arms and be the support that families so desperately need. Those of you watching online, get off the couch and into the game. Empty nester, you have something to offer. Those of you with an ethnic background, whether you're a Native American background, an African American background, a biracial background, you are a solution for children who are waiting for a family. Hispanic families, you're important too. But I want every believer at the Church at Churches to know that you are a part of the solution for families. And you can foster, you can surround yourself uh, around foster families to care for them. So that a child doesn't have to leave a home home and go to another home and go to another home and go to another home. Every one of us is part of the solution. Take a look at the card that's on your seat. We left it there for you. Maybe you've already looked at it, but I want to use this card for you to talk back to us and for you to make a response today. And on this card, on one side, there's some some statistics and those change every day, every week, and so that's why there's been different numbers up on the screen throughout today. But, But I want you to put your name and phone number and email on this, and here is the action step we are asking you to take. It's one baby step. We're not asking you to fill out a DHS packet. We are asking you to take one step. Yes, count on me, count on us to attend the Adopted Next Steps Dinner on Thursday, November 3rd at 6.30 at the Battle Creek Campus. How many adults? How many children? We've got childcare for your children. And and then you may know. You may say, hey, I'm interested in supporting foster and adopted families. And that's the step I'm interested in. We're not going to hold you to this. This is just for our information. Maybe you say, hey, I already know. I'm interested in providing direct care, foster care, or respite care. Maybe you're saying, I don't have a fat clue. I don't know. But but I'm willing to investigate. And then if you are currently fostering, if you'd let us know, if you've previously fostered but don't currently have a placement, let us know. If you're adopting, let us know. Take that card. And I want to pray for you as you do that. Father, I ask in the strong name of Jesus that you speak clearly to your children today. And as you speak clearly, I ask that their feet move quickly to obedience. Help us to plug into the rescuing power of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our city and our state. And that will give you great glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so what I'm going to ask on all of our campuses, as you fill this card out, that that you will make a response, that you'll leave your seat, that you'll bring it here, that you'll pray, that you'll leave this card here at the altar. Pastor says all the time, God's commands are God's enabling, and if He's commanded you to do something, He will resource you to bring it about. So let's stand together, and as we stand, I want you to move. I want you to come. I want you to bring this card and come and pray with your spouse and ask God what He wants you to do and then leave it as a symbol of that step of commitment. Let's sing.